Uh, if you have your little booklets, let's go ahead and take those booklets and you can go to page three now. We're on the session three, Jesus Above All. It's, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Colossians chapter one, verses 19 to 20. No one is ever really at ease in facing what we call life and death without a religious faith. Ryan, I'm hearing a little echo on me, just a, just a hair. Um, the trouble with many people today is that they have not found a God big enough for modern needs. Many men and women today are living often with inner dissatisfaction without any faith in God at all. This is not because they are particularly wicked or selfish or godless, but because they have found, they have not found a God big enough to account for life, big enough to fit in with the new scientific age, big enough to command their highest admiration and respect. The purpose of this book is to expose the inadequate conceptions of God which still linger unconsciously in many minds and which prevent our catching a glimpse of the true God, end quote. So wrote J.B. Phillips, many of you are familiar with his 1952 classic, Your God is Too Small. In a similar vein, A.W. Tozer, in his own devotional, again, classic, uh, bestseller book, Knowledge of the Holy, wrote in 1962. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact, I had to look that up, portentous, it's, it's uh, the fact that tells you about your future, about yourself. The most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives of God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God that is true not only of the individual the individual Christian but of the company of Christians that compose the church end quote you know if, if uh, Tozer and uh, Phillips are correct and I believe they are then we would be hard-pressed to uh, find a greater need to be addressed personally you know individually and personally but church you know as a as a community of faith than a true and faithful conception of God as he's revealed himself to be. It seems like that's on the top of Paul's mind, I've uh, suggested in the book of Colossians, um, as he speaks of Christ in ways we don't often, we don't really don't find in other parts of the New Testament. And one of the places he's, he does that is right there in chapter 1 in verses 15 uh, to 20. It is what we believe is one of the earliest hymns of the, of the New Testament church. It, it has all the markings, lyrical markings, of a hymn that would be spoken or sung and, and, and used in a creedal liturgy within the early church. Uh, and our, we were, as a church, we were going through this. We read it every week, every week, every week we would read. We called it the Colossians Creed. I want you to follow along in your Bibles as I read it, beginning in verse 15, and just, just, I mean, just let the words sit upon us. He, he's speaking of Jesus, 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You could spend weeks, could we not, you know, he's this, he's that, he did this, this is what he's about. Uh, this is, he, he's the preeminent Christ. Um, N.T. Wright uh, says this about that Colossians Creed. He says, someone who writes this way wants his readers to stop. And think. And that's not a paragraph to read and move on, is it? It's you stop and you think. Well, what does Paul want us to stop and think about? What, what does he want us to see? You know, when we look at this, well, it, you know, no surprise. He wants us to see Jesus. 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 All that he is and all that he's, he's done. Nothing could be more important. So I, I'm, we're not going to work through that whole creed uh, tonight. I want to take the last two verses, 19 and 20. And I, want to, I just want to show you how Paul doubles down. It's, it, and, and honestly, throughout the book, he just keeps doubling down. It's like he won't back off. I, all right, you're saying Jesus is everything. That's right, and I'm saying it again. Are you sure? Let me say it one more time. He's everything. And, you know, let me say it again. He, it, it's all him. You know, it's all Jesus. And so he doubles down on this. And then I want to show us uh, I mentioned this morning, you know, the greater, the meta-narrative, the greater narrative of the Bible. We call it the greater story, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. I, I've, I've, I've worked up a chart I'm going to show you on this board, and it's a work in progress. I'll get to that in a minute. But I, I want to end there because I want you to see from the verses how, he, how Christ is the center of all things. And then I want to show you just kind of in an overview how indeed Christ is the center of all things. So. Let me give you a, a brief note of context. I just read the passages, but 19 and 20 are the, you know, he says Christ is preeminent. And then there's nine, verses 19 and 20. So 19 and 20 are, are talking about, pre, you know, he's preeminent. Let me tell you what preeminent is. And that's what he's describing in 19 and 20. Jesus, you, know, you can say Jesus is king. He's Lord. He's sovereign. He's above all. Now he's going to go tell us the reason he's, he's preeminent. Now look at 19 and 20 one more time. For, it's because, it, the, the reason is, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Uh, it's, it, it, he's telling us the reason for the preeminence of Jesus. Um, in him is the fullness of God. It's a, the fullness is, is the completeness. There is, there's nothing that God is that Jesus isn't. The, the fullness of God is in Christ Jesus. 
he was, God was pleased to say, that is to say, God was delighted that the, the, the fullness of, of deity dwelt in the God-man, Jesus. To dwell means to inhabit or, 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 or live in. It's, it's, he's not a visitor. He's, he is permanently uh, and lastingly God. Jesus is preeminent because all that God is delights to permanently reside in the Son. Then, then verse 20, and through him, so now, now you've got to keep the pronouns correct, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile, unpack it in a minute, to himself, to God the Father, all things. On earth, you know, every horizontal thing, or in heaven, making peace through the blood of his, Jesus's, cross. Now, the, one of the reasons people think this is a hymn is, is how beautifully he begins, you know, you know how songs come full circle, good communication comes full circle. It starts here, da, 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 and then it kind of, ooh, it, he got right back to the beginning. And when I read 15 to 20, I want you to note he's using uh, these same words in verses 15 when he begins, he, he says, for, um, or 16, for for. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. And then when you go down in 19 and 20, he just does it all over again. In him, same Greek words, in him. Verse 20, through him. Verse 20, and to him. So he just wraps it up beautifully. It's all, it's all Jesus. Jesus is preeminent because God has reconciled all things to himself, whether on heaven or earth. I want you to think about, this is where I want us to think about salvation. That, um, you know, it's not just believe in Jesus and, and you're saved. That um, the work of Jesus didn't just save us. By his blood, he reconciled all things in heaven and on earth. It's, it's bigger than us, the work of Christ. What does it mean that when Paul says making peace by the blood of the cross? Well, you know, we'll start with We're out of, to reconcile something means things are unreconciled. We're out of peace. We're in, bro we're in broken relationship with God. I'll, 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 I'll do this in the overview in a moment. Um, the relationship between, between things is disrupted, separated, broken. Uh, when something is reconciled, that which is broken, that, that relationally broken is brought back together, reconciled, and, and, and brought back into relationship, into harmony and wholeness. When it says making peace by the blood of the cross, he's just, it, the blood of the cross, the gospel, where Jesus shed his blood, his life was poured out, paid the penalty for our sins that we might be forgiven. It's all centered in the cross. Biblical peace uh, is not a, just a cessation of, um, of hostility. You know, like, uh, you know, you're arguing, let's stop arguing, we're at peace. When the Bible speaks of peace, 
it is speaking of this wholeness and this completeness that is not just, okay, we're not going to fight anymore or we put down our weapons. No, it's, I, I've got just a brief little note in, there in, 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 uh, on page three there. Biblical peace is everything as God intends. Everything as God intends. It is, biblical peace is so much richer and deeper and fuller than, than we stop killing each other, we stop arguing. Through the death of Christ, God, he says here, has put the whole universe back together. I can't hardly get my head around that, you know, because I think of salvation and you think of the work of Christ today. Okay, God saved a people for himself. That's us. Woo, yippee. We're, but, you know, the fall touched everything in creation. And the blood of Jesus reconciles everything and all things. This is a little confusing, I think, and, and, and I won't spend a ton of time on it, but I, but, but I think some of you are probably familiar with you know, this, the idea that, you know, in Christ the kingdom has come, his, God's reign over God's people and God's place. But um, theologians, you know, because you can get confused because you say, well, Lloyd, you just said God, Jesus reconciled everything to himself. Man, we're in a global pandemic. People are dying. There's bad things happen to good people. There's sex trafficking. It's awful, you know. Wait, what do you mean? He's reconciled all things. Well, when, when we think about the, the gospel and that the kingdom has come, we've got to think about it in theological terms of uh, now and not yet, okay? So kind of get, I know, I know some of you in Bible college and you know this, but the king, you know, think of big, two big circles, the kingdom, in fact, I can do, I'll, I can do it on here, just, um, I'll move this a little, I'll move this in a minute, but think of the kingdom as, 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 as the kingdom is now, I know you guys over there can't see this, the kingdom is now, and the kingdom is not yet. And we live in the overlap of the now and the not yet. This really helps you guys. It really helped me. I mean, when I'm just learning this, because I'm going, well, if, if, if the kingdom's now, why are there bad things? Well, it's, it's also not yet. Uh, there's a fullness to come. The peace that Jesus secured, okay, it's clearly not yet complete, right? But it will be. We live in the now when it's, it's not all whole as it will be one day. But because of the cross, you see, this is where you always go to the cross, the cross, it's guaranteed and it will be. And I'm telling you, everything and all things will be rightly related to God. That's our hope. That's our future. That's God's promise. Does it mean everybody gets saved? No. So, you know, let's, let's put a nuance on this. It doesn't mean, okay, then everyone's saved. No, it's everything. This is, let me say, I'm going to say it again because I said it real quick. Everything and all things will be rightly related to God. Okay, it's important to hear it that way because, you, you know, well, then everyone's saved in the end. It's not universalism. 
it's, um, it means everything's going to be rightly related to God, so let's take evil. It will be rightly related to God, right? And it will be judged completely rightly related to God. Um, everyone, will get, everyone will get what is right and true and what is just. Um, if you are, you know, if you are in Christ Jesus, which is if you've put your faith in Christ, then you are in Christ. And so we, we get what Jesus deserves, what Jesus, by his person and work, we get, get that. If you have not put your faith in Christ, and, and let's just, you know, in the, you haven't put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then you are not in Christ. Let me tell you what you will get. You will get exactly what you choose and deserve. You'll pay the penalty for your own sin, which will be separated from God forever and ever. Does that make sense? I mean, that's the, that's the simplicity, in a sense, of the gospel. Um, so I just want us to get this bigger picture when, it, when, when, when Paul speaks here of in, um, in him the fullness of God was pleased to us. This is Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or earth, visible or invisible, all things through the cross reconciled and set right and made right with God. So, all that, and then I want to, I'm, gonna sh I'm just going to walk you through, and by the way, this is a work, this is a truly a work in process. Uh, there's stuff on here that's, I don't know, it may be a little out of whack, I don't know, but, um, but I think it can be helpful, okay, and I know some of you can't see this, you have to come come up and see it and so I actually thought well I'd, I'd leave space on that page to do this but you can't so I've actually got blank I've got blank pages in the back of this so if you want to turn it sideways and write this down you are absolutely welcome to do this but I think this is as I mentioned this morning so important for us to see the bigger picture of how Jesus is preeminent and, and these are ca categories I'm, I'm just working through and I've, I've put up here, but I said the Bible can be described in four words, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. Everybody with me on that? So, um, so these are the four categories of the Bible from creation, the fall, the work of redemption, and the recreation that has come. Now, I've, I've thrown a few categories on the left-hand side, and I just want to walk this through with you. Um, and I've put God's purpose, God's plan, and God's people. I've got, got place and rule because the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. This is the kingdom of God. And as we'll look at this, we go, well, it's what it's all about is the kingdom of God. So let's go through the Bible story. Then I'm going to back up. And honestly, I'm sure there's stuff you could add to this. You know, it'd be like, hell, help add to it. You know, we could tweak it. But let's start with uh, creation. We're in, you know, in Genesis 1 and 2. Creation, got the, God's purpose. What was God's purpose? in why, why something and not nothing? That's a big existential question, but, you know, why, why us and not just nothingness? Well, because God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And he created it for his glory and human flourishing. God created, you know, 
read the Genesis account, it's to, that for God to be glorified, you know, God's glory is the revelation of all that he is, and for, and for human flourish, to flourish with God. What was his plan? God and humanity in relationship, co-reigning and co-ruling creation. This is the kind of stuff almost like a, I don't know, some far-out sci-fi trilogy when you think about it. You know, I can see how a non-Christian would look at it and go, you, what, you, are you saying that, you were, that human beings were made to co-rule the universe? Yeah, you know, yeah, that's what the Bible tells us. It, and, and, it, and God is glorified in that, co-reigning and co-ruling creation. How about God's people? Well, you think about Genesis account, it's Adam and Eve in relationship. Now, I've got three words up here. They were in relationship with God, with themselves, and with each other. Okay, there, there were three levels by which they were in relationship, and, and I have integrated and whole. Now, the God, when we get, they were in relationship with God. I think with each other and others, we get that, don't we? Like, because they, they were, y'all, they were in relationship with each other. But I also add in relationship with self, and I'm not trying to go psychoanalytical on you here, but just to remind us that God has so made us in his image that God describes that inward part of you like, the core of who you are, the control center of your life, the essence of your being. Do you know the word God uses all throughout the Bible to describe that part of the being in the image of God? Take a shot. What's the word he uses? It's called your heart. It's called your heart. Read your Bible, and you're going to go, Every time I turn my page, it's talking about the heart. Yes. When he talks about the heart in the Bible, it's not talking about the physical organ. There's a place it does. Uh, generally, it'll also mention the heart of the sea, the, the depths of the sea. But, y'all, 99.9% .9 of the time when it says heart, it's describing that inward part of who we are. Okay? And here's, this is a really big, quick overview on this. It's that part of us, when we read what the heart does in the Bible... Let me tell you, and this is why I've got some letters in these, this heart thing. It's, do you know with your heart, that is, that is the place of your thinking? Where you, you think with your heart. In the, Bible, in the Hebrew, there's no word for brain. We're not talking about a biology lesson here. We're talking about a spiritual lesson. God says you think with your heart. You also feel with your heart. Your emotions. Emotions are image of godness. And you feel with your emotions. Do you know, did you know also the heart describes, is, is it describes as that place of your desires, your longings. It's different than emotions. That, the, the, the yearning of the heart, the desire, God says that's in, your, that's in your heart. And did you know that in the Bible it's with your heart that you choose? You choose from your heart. And, and, and so when we get, we understand the biblical heart, we understand, oh my gosh, the heart is... The heart is that part of me that I think, that I feel, that I desire, and I choose, and it's, it's all one. See, your thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices, that's your whole heart. Everybody with me on this, that's, if that makes sense? So I'm going I'm to get to, th this is why I say your heart's integrated and whole. They're in relationship with God, with them. Their hearts are connected. My thoughts are connected to my emotions, and my emotions are connected to my desires. My desires are connected to my choices, and they're all one. Unite my heart to fear your name. That's what David said.
What's the place? It's a garden. What, what about God's rule? If God's kingdom is God's rule, well, God's rule was personal and direct, wasn't it, in the garden? So that's creation. Fall. In the fall, what's God's purpose even through the fall? God's glory and human flourishing. As you're going to notice, it never changes. God's plan in the fall when they, re- you know, I'm going to go down here because it's even easier to get. The rule, they rejected God's rule. They were cast out, expelled from the garden in place. God, in the midst of that fall, says, I'm going to send a man born of a woman who will crush the serpent's head. And, you know, we're standing thousands of years on this side of that, and we look back and we go, oh, my gosh, that's Jesus. Well, trust me, when he said it, they didn't say, oh, my gosh, that's going to be Jesus, thousands of years. But it's called the, the, the Proto-Evangelion. It's the, it's the first hint of the gospel, that there's going to be a man born of a woman who's going to crush the serpent's head, death to the serpent, but he's going to be mortally wounded in it. Now, that's really vague, isn't it? And it's why we have the rest of the Bible. And it progressively gets clearer and clearer and clearer until it's clear that it's Jesus. Now, what I say here, though, is people, they are now out of relationship with God, self, and others. And I want to suggest to you that when Adam and Eve rebelled, their hearts exploded. What do you mean their hearts exploded, Lloyd? I mean this. The heart is made to be integrated in whole. Thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. When they rebelled against God, their thoughts blew apart from their emotions. Their emotions blew apart from their thoughts. Their desires totally whacked out from the rest of them. Their will totally... Does this make sense? I'm, I'm, I'm using it metaphorically, but in a sense I'm trying to help say... The heart blew apart. Now think about this. When the heart blew apart, uh, just a, a quick primer on, on life, and I want you to think about your own life. So, so humanity now is going gonna, is gonna to live out of a broken heart, if I can say it that way, an unintegrated heart. And therefore, think about this, and even we as Christians keep living in this way, I think, but, you know, you, 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 and, and, you know, I'll just say, you know people who, who really just live from their thoughts and their will. You know people like this. And, 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 and there are many Christians who live from their thoughts and their will. And it's like, God said it, I do it. God said it, I'm going to do it. You know, whatever it says I'm going to do. I'm, honestly, I think when you're living from your thoughts and your will, but you're unconnected from your emotions and desires, I think it can lead to legalism. How about when you're living just from your emotions and your will? I feel it. I'm going to do it. But you're unconnected to your thoughts and the truth. You're unconnected. To I, I want to maybe put on, on that when you're living from emotions and, and, and you're just, you, gotta, you feel it, you do it. Would maybe hedonism. How about people who live from their longings and desires and their choices? In other words, not connected to the truth and their thoughts or their emotions. So I'm just... The desire and the longing, I do it. Narcissism. We all live with these broken hearts, and I'm telling you, there's traces of that in all of us. And I drew this here to say the heart blew apart because y'all, and I didn't say this in the wilderness message, but I want you to think about them in the wilderness, and I want you to think about the whole Bible. We have a heart problem not a behavior problem now behaviors stink 
and we're, we're you know what I'm saying? We do bad things. But the gospel is not start doing good things. The gospel is not clean up your act, is it? We got a heart problem. Where did it start? In the garden, man. It flew apart. Okay, so creation, fall, redemption. So when we come to redemption, God's purpose is still God's glory and human flourishing. You know, this fall is only like, what? It's just a little tiny chapter. We're talking thousands of years in redemption. And what does God say? He says, he called Abraham. He said, through you, I'm going to give you a land of people and a blessing, the nation of Israel. So God says, I'm going to form a nation. And through this nation, the, one, the, the, the snake crusher is going to come through this nation. And it's all fuzzy, but then they start sacrificing lambs. And all of a sudden, God says, if you're going to be with me, somebody's got to die. We've got to cover get some blood on this because you've sinned and I, I will... My wrath will destroy you unless you atone for your sins, your blood covers. So you got all these ritualistic, you know, and God showing them, pointing them always toward the cross. In the cross, and by the way, I could, I could put, you know, in redemption, really, what's happening right here is everything's pointing, is it not, toward the cross of Christ. And then when Christ comes and lives the life we couldn't, dies the death we deserved, is buried and rises again, and says, if you put your trust in me, then that which I did is credited to you. We're therefore clothed in his righteousness, forgiven of all of our sin. He's the one lamb of the millions of lambs and goats they slaughtered. He's the perfect lamb of God, the son of God. His blood satisfies the wrath of God, and we are restored to relationship with God, self, and others. The place of redemption is the wilderness and, quote, the promised land. Because, you know, they get there, but they don't stay there, do they? And we ain't there yet. And I would suggest the, the wilderness is an apt metaphor for life on the planet, the fullness of the promised land to come. It's interesting that God's rule in redemption is mediated. And I only say that to say it was personal and direct face-to-face, -face, walk with God in the garden. But you see, now, because of sin, it's got to be mediated. We need a Moses. Moses, you go talk to God. I don't want to get near the mountain. It's always mediated. Prophets, priests, king, right? Always mediated. I want to see God face-to-face. -face. No, you can't. You'll die. You need a mediator. Prophet, priest, and king. And of course, all of this, who's, who's the ultimate mediator, right? Jesus. Jesus. And then recreation. So, in the recreation, I, I, again, I, I, let me say the purpose of God is, here's the key, I think, God's greater glory in humanity's fuller flourishing. Let me say a word about that in a minute. God's plan is, what was God's plan from the beginning? God's place God's people in God's place under God's rule. That was what God's plan has always been in the recreation. Do you know what the heaven will be? It will be God's people in God's place under God's rule. The people of God, the nation of Israel in redemption, but of course the Abrahamic blessing was for everyone, and so in the recreation it's every tribe and tongue and people. And guess what? Everyone's heart is now made whole. Well, how is the heart made whole? It's made whole by the cross. 
Everything began in a garden, you all. Do you know it's going to end, quote, in a garden? Oh, my gosh. God's rule, it was once personal and direct, it was then rejected, it had to be mediated, and now where is God's rule, and where will it be in the kingdom? It ain't going to be on tablets of stone, y'all. It's going to be written where? Oh my gosh, y'all, it's in the heart. It's like, I don't know, I mean, I get all weirded out on this, but you can't, it's like we have heart surgery while we're still alive and we get a new one. This is the new covenant. Anything less, you know, that's why any other religion is not, it's not it. You got to get a new heart. Who in the world can give someone a new heart? God, God alone. And that's what the gospel does. And so now our hearts are, are, are restored. Now, I said God's greater glory in humanity is fuller flourishing. And I say that for this reason. I don't understand this. But according to the Bible, God is more fully glorified through a redeemed fallen humanity than had humanity never fallen. There's implications to that that I can't understand because I'm going, no, no, this is no good. Sex trafficking, no. All I know is the Bible shows us that it's all about God's glory, and he is more fully glorified through a redeemed, fallen humanity than had Adam and Eve never sinned. And Jesus is preeminent in the whole thing. How, how, how do we know this? Well, I mean, we just read the Colossians Creed, and I just want you to note this. that According to the Colossians Creed, King Jesus... I'm drawing a crown. King Jesus created all things. Jesus. Read, first, read John 1. Jesus created everything in the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the fall, God promised, I'm going to send a man born of a woman. You know who that was, right? That's King Jesus. That's who that is. And every animal sacrificed through the Old Testament is Jesus. It's all pointing, and there's so many other things, you know, types and antitypes, those of you Bible nerds in here, you know. You understand it's King Jesus. And our future is secured only by King Jesus. Listen, he's preeminent. He's not just preeminent in the Gospels, right? He's preeminent in all things. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And, and when we read our Bibles, I'm telling you all, we, for me, my own experience is, when I begin to understand this, and I didn't understand this, I was in my 40s. Clearer, you know. Um, well, you just read your Bible different. I think you worship in, in a deeper way because you and I come to understand that <laughs> I mean we could just write J-E-S-U-S across the whole thing and we would be spot spot on so with that in line with Phillips and Tozer 
who reminded us that our vision of God, you know, our, our greatest needs of a correct vision of God. Y'all, I really want to challenge us that that vision of God is not to step back and uh, and try and try and imagine God uh, with our with our own imagination. It, in a sense, it's but of course not that. But it's to go to the Scripture and go. You want to know what God is like. You look at Jesus. That's just it. You don't. You don't have to go anywhere. You, just look what Jesus. Look at His words. Look what He did. Look what He said. It's all Jesus. And Paul. I mean, if he, you know, if anyone would have known, I think Paul would know. And that's exactly what he says. Leaves us with this question. And I hope this kind of prompts us to, to think and think deeper. Is our Jesus too small? Like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross to save me from sin. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. Man, dude, it's not just you. It's, you understand that it's God's people and God's place under God's rule and the whole creation, the whole creation re- restored and redeemed and reconciled and rightly related. It's, it's way bigger than you, buddy. You know, it's... it's He's everything. He's preeminent. Let's pray. Father, thank you. What a, what a wonderful word Paul gives us. And we've not even scratched the surface. We know that. But thank you for the reminder he gives us of the preeminence of Christ. Thank you for... I, I could never figure out that the Bible could come under these categories and be in four words. Look, others have done that. I just learned from them. Thank you for gifted teachers who help us understand more fully the great story of the gospel. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see things we could not see on our own. And may we, as we continue even through this study of Colossians and even through this week, get a bigger, better, clearer picture of you, O God, through your Son, Jesus. Amen.